But in John chapter 2, I'd like to read the first 11 verses. It's the first miracle that Jesus does. And I entitled this uh, message, It Works. As you'll see as we go through this, it works. It says <clears throat> in John chapter 2, verse 1, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, than that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Ending there in verse 11. Let's have a word of prayer before we get started tonight. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the most precious name that we know, and that's Jesus Christ. The name and that allows us, through his blood, to approach your throne of grace. And Father, as we open your word tonight, I pray that your will would be accomplished. Every word would be guided by you as it is said and as it is received. Father, that your Holy Spirit would have free course in our midst tonight, that you would work in hearts, help us make decisions that would glorify you, that would strengthen this ministry, strengthen our personal lives. And Father, if there be one here that does not know Christ as Savior, even though it's a home crowd tonight, you just never know. Someone may be struggling, may just have some doubts. May they settle that tonight through the Word of God and your Holy Spirit's working in their life. So, Father, bless now tonight. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to meet together. Your will be done. May the name of Jesus be uplifted. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In John chapter 2, we see this Miracle that Jesus does is setting around the marriage. Mary, his mother, is there, as well as Jesus and his disciples. And it says in verse 1 again, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Verse 2, And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. We see in verses 1 and 2 a plan uh, that these individuals had in regards to their marriage. Marriage, uh, having a wedding, takes some planning. I guess, uh, being realistic, you don't have to have any planning except going to someone to get married, but most people have a, a wedding that they go through. I know that uh, I've told you the story before that Linda and I were engaged uh, in April of 1986 and uh, talked about our wedding throughout the summer. And then the fall of 86, I went to medical school in the wonderful state of Iowa. Now, Des Moines, Iowa, that's where the school was located, uh, back in 1986, not much was happening in Des Moines, Iowa, 
uh, except uh, corn and wheat growing uh, that you could hear if when it was real quiet outside because maybe one or two cars went down Main Street of Des Moines during that time. But as I was out there, and I was studying, obviously, and uh, cooking for myself and cleaning for myself and uh, washing my own clothes and doing all the chores around the apartment that I had off campus, uh, Linda and my mom and dad came out to visit in October. I had started school middle of August. They came out in October, and we were talking. Linda and I took a walk, and we were talking, and she was asking, well, what about, are we going to wait until June of 87? That was another nine, ten months. And uh, so I was kind of getting a vibe. <clears throat> I think you understand that this should happen sooner rather than later, and then as I received that vibe, a strong vibe, uh, I thought to myself, boy, I could receive a lot of help out here uh, if I were to get married, because I already had, it's already, it was already solidified in my mind that Linda was the one God wanted me to marry, so that decision was already made, it was just the finality of the date. And so in October of 86, we decided to get married at Christmas break, when they still called it Christmas break. And uh, we, we uh, so Linda had about two months to plan everything, and basically she did 99.9% uh, .9 of the planning for the wedding. I did the 0.1%, and that was show up on December 27, 2000, uh, or not 2000, but 1986, December 27, 1986, it'll be 32 uh, wonderful years that we've been married, or at least I've been married with her, and I hope she has the same sentiment as I do. But a lot of planning went into that, and we planned for everything. I think as junior high students, you start kind of planning, or I certainly did when I was 12 years of age. Uh, that's when I believe... Uh, I started to think about becoming a doctor, and so you start thinking about what courses to take in junior high and high school. You start planning your college, you start planning your career, and you start planning all these things. But lo and behold, when we plan things, problems happen, do they not? And that's what happened in this scenario in chapter 2 of the book of John. Problems happened. It says in verse 3, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus, Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. They ran out of wine. And problems happen. I remember back in Michigan when I was practicing medicine and still assisting in surgery, we had a surgery that started at 8 o'clock in the morning. That was the scheduled time. It was a man that had lung cancer. The cancer was very close to his aorta, which is in the center of your chest, running down through the center of your abdomen, before it splits off into the iliac arteries, which flow down both legs. And so what we plan to do is we plan to radiate, do radiation therapy, to shrink the, the lung mass or the lung cancer, because it was quite large, and it was surrounding or adjacent to the aorta. So we figured we would radiate that mass to shrink it so that it would be less intrusive of a surgery. And so we had, we did that, we planned for the surgery at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, and so it started roughly at 8 o'clock in the morning, and as we opened up his chest and started to dissect through the mass that was in there, uh, it took several hours to very tediously go through what we were doing, 
And as we found out, that radiation therapy had melted that mass. It's made it smaller, but it melted it to other tissue that was adjacent to it. So as we were dissecting it out, lo and behold, we're standing there, by, obviously in our positions, by the, the table with the man laying there. Uh, a little piece of that tumor had melted against the aorta and attached itself. So as we peeled that piece away, try to guess what happened. A piece of the aorta came off too. And, uh, you know, there's a song about a fountain of blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein, but there was a fountain of blood drawn from this guy's aorta. And so there were three doctors in, in the surgical area that were doing the surgery, me being one of them, and none of us had the expertise of, of sewing up the aorta because you have to do it in a very specific way. So for one hour, each one of us took turns putting our finger over that hole until a vascular surgeon could be summoned to the OR suite, take care of that problem, and then the three of us went back to the original problem, or the original plan that we had. But we ran into a problem. We started that surgery at 8 o'clock in the morning. We walked out at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. One thing that I regret in my life is I put a piece of gum in my mouth at about 7.55 that morning. And I didn't know what to do with that, Pastor. Do I continue to chew uh, that piece of gum? Do I swallow it? But at 4.05, I was able to discard that piece of gum. That's the moral of the story right there. But we had a plan, but we ran into a problem. Merrick and, Merrick and I are working medicine this summer. He's working with me. And uh, I'm having a good time. I don't know if he is or not, but I'm having a good time. I said, it's always nice to have someone to talk to, except the computer. But uh, I think it was Thursday, we had seen a man about 10 days ago, 10 days prior to Thursday, that came in with a mass on his chest. And <clears throat> the man, we went in and we're talking to the man, and the man says, oh, I have a cyst on my chest. Okay, and so I feel that area, and it's just rock hard like the pulpit here, and that's never good. I'm trying to teach America that. Rock hard is never good in medicine. And so I did the workup, and lo and behold, this man has breast cancer. And so Merrick and I have been talking about it during, you know, when he's with me, how to approach telling someone that they have bad news. Because I told them, they don't teach it in medical school. They don't teach it in residency. And it's a, it, it is a skill, and may I say there is some skill to it, that you learn as you go. And so we had a plan because he asked me, how do you think this man is going to respond? And I said, well, probably he will be in shock because it never happens to you, it's always someone else. So I said, he'll probably shut up or be quiet and withdrawn because once you hear that you have cancer, for those that have been told this, uh, a lot of times when you're told that, everything else shuts down and you just focus on what you just heard. 
So we went in the room, I think it was Thursday morning of this past week, and the wife was there with him. And I said, I, I, I know you're here for the biopsy results. And, uh, and I looked at him and I said, and it's, it's not good. It's not good. And I said, you have breast cancer. And to, I think, my surprise and probably Merrick's, because I told him the guy would probably be quiet and in shock and withdrawn, the guy started joking around. And so that's how he dealt with it, trying to be jokeful and humorous. And after we had, so Merrick and I had a plan of telling him this, and kind of a problem happened in that the guy, instead of being in shock and quiet, was being jokeful and, and uh, humorous. And I told Merrick it's just his defense mechanism of being told, probably a defense mechanism, being told bad news and not knowing how to respond, and so he started to joke around and being humorous. But we had a plan, ran into a little bit of a problem, like they did here in John the ch chapter number 2 with the wedding. Is We all have plans, right? We have plans after church tonight, I'm assuming. Most of us make plans. I have a plan tomorrow to get up, go to work, and uh, do my job. Uh, but a lot of times, problems happen. And so we see now, not only that we have plans and that we have problems, but I want to talk now about the principle that we find here in John chapter 2, which I find very, very fascinating. Because Mary tells Jesus in verse 3, the last phrase, they have no wine. And then Jesus comes back in verse 4, and saith, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now we understand that, we understand this verse, because we know it was not the time for Jesus to be glorified. It wasn't his time to be made manifest. But realize, Mary did not have the knowledge that we have. And so Mary says, they have no wine in verse 3. And then Jesus comes back, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. You imagine Mary going, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? I said they, they have no wine. And you come back, woman, my hour is not yet come. What have I to do with thee? What in the world does that mean? You understand? Have you ever been in that predicament? where someone says something, you've asked them a question, and they come back with an answer, and you go, did you, hear the, did you hear the question that I posed? And I can see Mary doing the same thing, but I believe Mary probably had experience with Jesus saying things that she did not fully understand as she raised the Savior, as Jesus was in her house for multiple years, and she probably heard statements made by Jesus that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But then here's what she says to the men in verse 5. And this is the principle. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. I can see Mary can, hey, for the years that Jesus was living with me, he would say to do something. I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me. It didn't feel good. It wasn't logical. It wasn't academic. But all I know is if I did what he said, it worked. And that's what we're getting at here in verse, 
verse 4 and 5, the principle, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Mary saying, whatever he says, it works. And as I said before, it may not be in human logic, or it may not be in accord to your academics. It may not fit the emotional aspect of your life at the time, but if Jesus says to do it, you need to do it. It may not feel right, as Pastor was saying this morning, this world wants to say that how can it be wrong if it feels so right? Uh, but my friends, even if it, come, if it comes from Jesus Christ, and it may not feel right, it may not meet your emotional makeup at the time. If Jesus, in the Word of God, says to do it, then do it. It works. That's what he's talking about here. And you think about creation. You know, people, I was watching something uh, recently that said we're all animals. That human beings are just another species of animal. And I know you've heard me say this before, but we're not animals. I am not an animal. I'm not a part of the animal kingdom. Because you and I are made in the image of God. And God is not an animal. And evolution is a religion supported and taught by the government. And so it tells us in Colossians 1.6, and all things were created by Him and for Him. It just works. That's what happened. We were created. This world was created. Think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us in John 14, chapter 14, also in John chapter 16, that the Holy Spirit will be with you and He will be in you. Don't let anyone tell you that you don't have the Holy Spirit once you're saved. Salvation works, but it makes no sense to me. I can't make sense of salvation. How that me, a sinner, can be a child of God if I place my faith in Jesus Christ. I, I don't understand. But it works. How can you, you know, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not for a select few. Some are not selected to heaven. Some are not selected for hell. I believe God has selected all to go to heaven and given us the choice if we want to go or not. Salvation works. In the human thought process, it's not logical. Because how many of us would give our sons or daughters to die for other people? It goes against our logic. It goes against our reasoning. Uh, it goes against our academic knowledge base. But as Mary, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour's not yet come. What have I to do with thee? Mary going, what is he saying? But then she turns around and tells the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And the same as well salvation. You may want to try to academically understand it. You may want to try to logically understand it. You may want to try to reason it out of your own reasoning. I know God tells us to come together and reason with Him. But my friends, it is by simple childlike faith, you trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. And saved forever. You think about the crucified Christian life. 
that goes against what we're taught in our humanistic philosophy today. Die to yourself daily? No, you're supposed to live for yourself. You're supposed to live for your dreams. You're supposed to be self-promoting, self-lifting up, and in essence, selfish. But God tells us differently, doesn't he? That's why Paul told the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. Paul told the Corinthians that I die daily. You say, but it doesn't make sense. It, it, it's not logical. It's not reasonable. But the Bible says it. Jesus has said it. And therefore, according to his mother and according to the word of God, it works. That's how we're supposed to live our Christian life. Is to die to ourselves. You think about tithing. Tithing works. Our accountant, last time that we went, <clears throat> which is always a pleasure at tax time, it's really sobering, is it not, how much money they take out of your paycheck? And then they want more. But that, that's another issue. I don't want to get bitter tonight. I don't want to get bitter. That's an easy button pusher for me. As Pastor said, his wife knows how to get him angry. Yeah, all the buttons. And I'll let you know one of those buttons is, uh, is that tax burden. That, that's something else. I don't even like to look at it, but that's another story, like I said. But she says to us, oh, you're tithers. In a not nice way. Oh, you're one of those. But I'm going to tell you this, and I think you know this for those the crowd that's here tonight, and you've heard it said many other times, 90% with God goes further than 100% without God's blessing. But you tell that to other people, you mean you give 10%, I believe tithing according to the Bible is 10% of your gross income. That's how I believe it's taught. Amen? <clears throat> You tell that, that you're giving 10% of your gross income to a church, to the local church, they think you are absolutely crazy. But it works. Because Jesus says it works. I think about, as I deal with people with addiction, people with addiction, whether it be drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever it might be, I believe all sin is potentially addictive. As you dive into it, you lose control over it, and it controls you. Uh, and we can do a bunch of things and give a lot of things and give advice and counsel, but I believe one of the first steps is knowing Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and walking with the Lord Jesus Christ because it works. You tell that out in the secular world, they don't want to hear it. But according to the Bible, it works. And like Mary said, uh, they have no wine. Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. And then she, after she kind of shakes her head and goes, man, I don't know what that means. But then she tells the men, whatever he's about to say, whatever it is, whatsoever he saith unto you, just do it because this works, what he says. You think about Joshua and Jericho. 
I saw uh, there was a special on uh, one of the uh, uh, TV uh, channels that has documentaries, and it was about ancient battles. And it said that the, the program said it was about Joshua and Jericho. I said, well, that's going to be interesting. I want to hear that. And so they detailed the city and the walls, how thick they were, how tall they were. They went through all the archaeological issues to set the tone and set the, the standing of what was going on. And then they said, well, the walls really didn't come down. It was figurative. And what happened, and obviously they were eyewitnesses, so they know exactly what happened. What happened is, if you remember, Rahab had that red cord in her window so that when they came into Jericho, they would know where she was and her family so that they would not be destroyed. So what they said is that, you remember the nation of Israel, the army of Israel, in, uh, would walk around Jericho once a day for six days, and on the seventh day they went around seven times. Every time they would walk around, men of the army of Israel would climb up that red cord, special ops, they said. These were special op Israeli army. They would climb up that red cord into where Rahab lived and hide. And over the seven days, enough men were able to get up into her area uh, to start warfare inside Jericho, ultimately open the gates for the rest of the nation of Israel to come in. Let me tell you this. The Bible says the walls came tumbling down, and that's exactly what happened. Because whatever, when God says walk around a city once, a uh, once every six, daily for six days and seven times on the, on the last day and shout and blow your trumpets and the walls will come down, I don't care if it doesn't make sense to us. I don't care if it's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's not academic. It's going to happen because God said it's going to happen. You think of Gideon. Gideon fighting the Midianites had an army of 32,000 men. And God whittled it down to 300. Because God wanted them to know that it was not their power, their might, their ingenuity, their strategy, but it came from God. I'd rather go into battle with 300 and God than 32,000 without God. But I find this fascinating when Jesus, they have no wine, Jesus. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Mary going, what in the world is he talking about? I asked, I told him there's no wine. And he comes back with this statement. I, I can't make sense of it. But then in verse 5, she says, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And these men, as we're going to find out, did exactly what Jesus said to do, and a great miracle happened. Look at, at uh, verse 7. Because what I find is these people had a plan, they ran into a problem, there's the principle that we just talked about, which is the main thrust of the sermon, 
But then these men responded in passionate obedience. Look at verse 7. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Many Christians today are filling their water pots half full. Three quarters full. A quarter full. I love what these men did. Mary tells these men, whatsoever, I don't understand what he just said. I don't, Mary saying, I don't have any idea what he just said. But what I'm telling you men, whatsoever he saith unto you, just do it. Because it works. And so these men, receiving that instruction, Jesus said, fill the water pots. And these men passionately obeyed and filled them up to the brim. They wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. And I want to fill my water pot to the brim because I want to see what Jesus and only Jesus can do through someone that is passionately obedient about God the Father and His Word. And so that's what they did. And then, as it says in verse 8, Jesus saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And uh, you walk through verse 9 and 10, and the water was made wine. And then look at verse 11, because I want to show you the results of this. And that it is, it, what it does, it propels belief. The begin, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed on Him. See, when you have faith in what Jesus Christ says to do, whatever it is, Man, it doesn't make sense. I don't get the googly, googly feeling, you know, good feeling sometimes. But as Pastor preached this morning, you don't, feelings can be a byproduct of your spirit's obedience. But it doesn't have to be. You go by obedience. You go, as Pastor said, by principle. You go by what the Word of God says, no matter how you feel about it. You know what the Word of God says is true. And that's what Mary says. Whatsoever He saith unto you, or may I say, whatsoever the Bible saith unto you, do it. Because it's the Word of God. And what happens when we do what the Bible says, when we do what Jesus says, even though it may not make sense to us, it may not be logical to us, and we fill our water pots to the brim, we have passionate obedience, and we see the Lord Jesus Christ work in our life in a miraculous, wonderful, amazing way. It propels our belief to do it the next time, and the next time, and the next time. Because that's what it said, that it manifested forth His glory and His disciples believed on Him. And so what the Bible says works. I have fought a long time since I started my post-high school education because my education was humanistically based. And they are constantly, constantly calling into question faith in God Almighty and Jesus Christ. Just like the walls of Jericho. The special op Israeli army climbing up that red cord. Doubting, putting doubt, trying to put doubt 
in my mind about the Word of God. As Pastor preached this morning, that's one of the tactics of the devil. He just wants you to start doubting or questioning the Word of God a little bit. And it's a slippery slope down from there. But I reaffirm constantly in my life because of what I read on a daily basis in the medical journals, uh, what you hear out there on TV, in the media, and all of this questioning God, questioning the Bible. Oh, it's a historical book. It's not a spiritual book. Uh, uh, people that pray, uh, uh, talk to someone they can't see, are psychotic. They need psychiatric care. Getting all that inundated on a daily basis, day after day after day. I get it. You get it. We need to constantly go back to John chapter 2. And even though Mary, when he said, uh, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour's not yet come. What does that mean? I don't know, Mary is saying. But Mary says, even though I have questions, even though it doesn't make sense, whatever he says to do, do it. Because it works. And I pray that if there be someone here tonight that has allowed some questioning to enter their life, well, Noah is a nice story, but it didn't really happen. It really happened because Jesus said it happened. Well, Abraham really didn't take Isaac to the mountain and almost kill his own son. How ridiculous of a story that is, I've heard. That a man, a, a, a dad would actually do that. But the Bible says he did that. And therefore, the Bible, what the Bible says is true. I don't have, to, I've told you this before, reading the Bible through since I was age 15 when I made that commitment, God has never told us to understand everything He does, but He has told us to obey everything He says. So just let me leave you with that principle tonight. Sometimes... How did the walls of Jericho fall down? I don't know. I can't explain it. How did Noah build that ark with just himself and his three boys? I don't know, Pastor. I don't know how he did it. How did God create this out of nothing? I don't know. But I believe it. Because whatsoever he saith unto you, just do it. Stop the questioning. Stop the analyzing. And just do what this Bible says. Listen to Jesus' mother. Because she tells us tonight in the word of God, whatever he says works. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word tonight. It's a powerful book, powerful words. Father, help all of us here tonight squalsh any questioning that we have, trying to logically figure out you, trying to understand everything and just help us follow this principle that 
whatever you say, we're going to do it because it works. We do pray that if there be someone here tonight that is questioning their salvation, not sure of their salvation, that tonight they would solidify through the Word of God that they're a child of God through simple childlike faith in your Son, Jesus. And Father, help your children tonight be strong in the faith. Help us do what you say by your grace and by your mercy. And we'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.